Hello and welcome to the Healthy Hustlers podcast. We're your happy hosts, Amy and Madeline, best friends who work hard and hustle harder. We believe to be happy and healthy in your work, you need to be happy and healthy in your life. We combine health, well-being and business with a fresh perspective to share the stories of normal people with inspiring lives. From leading entrepreneurs to athletes, models and artists, together we delve deep into their journey to success to find out why health and well-being is at the core of their philosophy. Whether you're looking for advice and guidance for leading your best life, an engaging, easy-to-digest pep talk, or a boost of healthy enthusiasm to fuel your health and wellness goals, the Healthy Hustlers podcast is your go-to for kicking ass in work and play. You know those people that come into your life and you just feel like you've been friends with them forever? Well, today's guest gives you that exact feeling. He is humble, kind, and incredibly warm-hearted, plus an absolute whiz in the kitchen. Born and raised in Melbourne, Luke Hines has swapped the fast-paced rat race for a slower and much warmer lifestyle in northern New South Wales. Winning the hearts of Australians when he first appeared on My Kitchen Rules, Luke's success is a result of his hard work, dedication and a clear vision. We have had the pleasure of getting to know Luke this year and we honestly couldn't speak more highly of an individual. He radiates positivity and is a true reflection of what we believe the health and wellbeing industry is all about. We had a chat with Luke about his journey so far, his experience working with Angelina Jolie and while failure is just one step closer to success. We honestly love this man so much and we know you will too. Hi Luke, welcome to the Healthy Hustlers podcast. We've finally locked you down. We've been very lucky to actually spend a bit of time with you over the last few months and we couldn't be more excited that you are our first male guest on the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm really glad we could actually get it happening. Um, There's nothing like three people who have busy schedules trying to arrange something as simple as a podcast. You would would think that would be simple, (laughs) but when you've got people flying here, there and everywhere, and I guess the three of us all trying to chip away at the things we're trying to achieve... Um, it took some time, but here we are. I'm very, very glad. So thanks for having me. Oh, so we thank you for joining us. So let's kick off our chat by hearing something about you that most people might not necessarily know. Oh, that's a good question. It's I don't often get asked that question. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, my favourite movie is Jurassic Park. I'm obsessed with dinosaurs, and um, I still believe that. How can we be certain that velociraptors are, in fact, extinct? <laughs> if you could be a dinosaur, what would you be? I feel like I would be the velociraptor. Um, there's something about the way they tap their toes. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And they can open doors. <laughs> we'll have to get you to spell it for us after the episode so that we can Google what that looks like. There you go. There you go. Oh, funny little fact. I have to say this because my girlfriends will be listening, but we went through a stage with my girlfriends, a group of girlfriends where we called each other like a pack of dinosaurs because we would still like party really hard and have fun, but we're getting older and we all had like dinosaur names. It was really funny. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I need to hang out with you guys. It sounds like my ideal situation. All right. So we'd love to get some insight into little Luke growing up. What were you like as a kid? Where did you grow up and give us all of the dirt? 
Okay, so I grew up in um, East Malvern and Glen Iris in um, Victoria, um, kind of that eastern suburbs, uh, just kind of average family, three older brothers, mum and dad both working. I went to a school in Melbourne and um, I really, really enjoyed Melbourne life. It was really great catching the train from Caulfield Station to... Um, to uh, Richmond and transferring and Melbourne life was really, really cool. My memories are of like cold afternoons and getting four potato cakes. We'll talk about these in a minute, but four potato cakes on the way home from school, uh, a cinnamon scroll, um, rowing training, all these type of typical Melbourne iconic things where I was on the Yarra River and I was catching a train in Melbourne, which also quite iconic in the trams. So it was a really cool lifestyle. Um, but I was always one, I was like a water baby. So in my holidays, it was always time spent in Anglesey or Torquay or down at Sorrento and Portsea. And I always felt this kind of yearning to be near the beach. So even though I was born and bred Melbourne, um, my attraction to the water and being outdoors, eventually when I could, as soon as I was old enough, I headed up north and uh, turned Bondi my home. That is awesome. And so, after, like, okay, so you're a kid, you grew up in Melbourne. What happened from there? Um, funnily enough, my preferences straight after year 12 went in the order like this criminology, law, and then a Bachelor of Arts majoring in musical theatre at a place called the Arts Academy in Ballarat. And I hadn't taken it very seriously. I'd done the school musicals and all that. And my drama teacher said, I know you're really interested in like solving horrific crimes, but if that doesn't go through um, or if you feel like you want to kind of lean towards your more theatrical side, why don't you audition for this drama school called, then it was called BAPA, Ballarat Academy of Performing Arts. Now it's called Arts Academy. They said they only take 20 people a year. You could audition for the musical theatre course. If you don't get in, well, don't worry. Your first two preferences are, you know, as long as you get the marks, you'll be fine. And I was like, yeah, I'll put it on the list. No problem. No harm done. Anyway, I went to these auditions and I got in. Like I got accepted through these different series of monologues and singing and dancing, all this stuff. And I was like, holy crap, there might be something in this. I mean, criminology and law, they will always be there if I really want to do it. But how often do you get selected in a course that they only accept 20 people? So I was like, I'm going to do it. So at um, 18, I moved out of home and then lived in Ballarat for three years full-time. And um, it was really, really cool. Uh, full-time uni, singing, dancing, acting, all that type of stuff. Um, life-changing in that I learned a lot about myself and my creative side. And um, during that period of time, uni was Monday to Friday. Uh, but every Saturday and Sunday, I went up to the YMCA at Lake Wendouree and I did my certificate three and four in fitness. And then on other weekends, I would become a Les Mills instructor and started teaching things like body combat and body attack and body balance and all that type of stuff. So there was these two worlds going on where Monday to Friday I was performing and then Saturdays and Sundays I was working on my wellness and fitness craft. And um, at the end of the three years, um, I was working in the industry, doing musicals and working with Opera Australia and touring here in Asia and New Zealand. And that was incredible. But then there was this always this other part of me that whenever I wasn't doing a show, I would go back into personal training or working in a gym or stuff like that. So it was a really fantastic period of my life where I got to be creative, but also do my fitness as well. That is incredible. You have had such a colourful life, can I just say. <laughs> We were able to spend some time with you at Self Care Sunday event a few weeks ago. 
and we heard a part of your story and I didn't hear any of this. This is incredible. You have done so much. Wow. Yeah, it's, been, it's been a really interesting journey. And what's funny is that even though now I'm very firmly in the food, fitness and kind of mindset realm, I actually don't think I could be doing what I'm doing without having done the three years of learning confidence to be in front of however many people and learning how to talk and use my voice. So it's quite funny, as much as I loved performing and singing and dancing and acting, there was times when I was doing it where I was like, I wish I was just being me and not playing a character. In fact, I was always playing characters. And then when I took a step away from doing shows, I was like, hang on, what if I combine the skills I've learned with just being me? Because then it puts me in a really good stead because... I mean, back then, I remember thinking there's going to be a lot of fitness instructors and a lot of people in the health industry who would love to be in front of a crowd but wouldn't have the confidence or the skills. So I was really fortunate that I'd had that time to build up on it and then take it there, you know, take it really seriously. That's, it's so funny, isn't it, when you kind of look back on your life path and you can see all of those reasons why you did something, even though you might not still be doing it today. I actually um, studied acting as well until I was about 21 and like, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. It is 100% now why, like, I believe I got a lot of my confidence from that and having to put yourself out there and, and be in front of people you don't know and read scripts and all of this stuff that was like so daunting. You're just put out there and you have to do it. And I, it's funny, Amy and I, a few years ago, like, because she's got a young daughter, Lily, and she'd always say, like, I just want to instill a lot of confidence in her. Like, and I used to always say, like, I just swear acting was probably the key ingredient for me as a kid. So, yeah, I love that you spoke about that. So do you mind talking to us a little bit about how you got so passionate about your health and fitness? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was overweight as a kid. I had all sorts of nicknames at primary school and high school, one of those in particular being Buddha. Uh, because of my particularly round belly, which uh, people would rub for good luck. Um, but what was funny is that even though I was being teased, uh, I didn't really see myself as a heavier or overweight person. I just didn't, I wasn't in tune with myself as a kid. I had so much other stuff going on with adolescence and puberty that I hadn't really taken note of what I looked like or how I felt. And it was a very different time. We didn't have mobile phones or smartphones and very few of us even had laptops in that day you'd use the computer at school so we weren't kind of open to so much kind of what other people look like or what we should look like in a society so there was less kind of pressure in a way and then it was just one day where I did pull my desk my chair into my desk at school and I realized I couldn't get any closer because of the size of my belly and that was a, a realization point for me where I was like hang on I'm bigger than I think I am and I need to do something about this. I was very terrified of group sport and dangerous sport and balls flying at my head and rough sport. I was very timid and quite nervous about the jock mentality at school. So I've shied away from anything that was a group activity like that. And I would always find excuses not to go to football training or anything like that. I didn't enjoy the idea of the peer pressure of being rough and, um, so it steered me away from being active at school. But then what was interesting is as soon as I left school or had school holidays, I enjoyed movement and I enjoyed exercising on my own terms in a non-competitive, non-rough way. And that's how I found wellness. I realized that fitness didn't mean just rugby, football, tennis at a private boys' school in Melbourne. For me, it was just moving, running with the dog, exercising, swimming, all of that. And that was really, really enjoyable. 
that's that's so good and I love that you like you know you talk about learning that yourself and not having to just fit into what everyone was doing at school or everyone in your group it was really like what works for me what makes me feel good like how am I going to get something out of this so I guess moving on from that and talking about where you are now you are a best-selling author with nine incredible cookbooks a PT a nutrition coach and a celebrity chef very impressive bio right there, my friend. <laughs> can you shed, <laughs> I guess you've already um, touched on it a little bit, but can you shed some more light onto how you got to this point in your career? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's always interesting hearing people read your bio back because when you live it, you kind of, uh, it's not that you forget, but you're busy working. So you don't really stop and take stock of kind of what you actually do. So I always find it fascinating when I hear, hear a bio back because I'm like, oh yeah, I do a bit of stuff, don't I? <laughs> How I got to this is that probably deep down inside, it's been... I'm not good having a boss. Like if I'm brutally honest in all my part-time jobs working, I mean, I've had some strange jobs. I mean, I've worked at Roger David on Burke street mall. I've been handing out like uh, cologne samples in Maya. I've done, I've worked in Baker's delight in Ballarat. I've had very strange part-time getting through uni jobs. And one thing I learned very quickly is that I don't deal good with just typical structure or authority for the sake of authority. And I knew very early on that I'm the type to fire up. I fire up quite quickly as a person and I answer back quite firmly if I disagree with something. I've never had the ability to kind of sit back and go, well, that's actually wrong or cruel or going to harm others. I can't just sit back and not respond or make a, some type of movement towards hopefully the right thing. And I thought, well, you know what? I feel like I need to work for myself because I could never see myself going into a career where I was on someone else's schedule or timeline or their their deadlines. I wanted to kind of run my life to my deadlines. And whether that was going to be success or a failure, that wasn't the matter. It was the matter that at least I was in the control of my own destiny. So once I finished the drama school, I did a few shows for a couple of years and I loved it. And it gave me the freedom to do a show, be in it, and then have a couple of weeks or months off, do another show. And I kind of fell in love with that freedom. And then personal training is the same thing is that I was like, I can choose how many clients I take on. I can choose when I work and how I work. And that's really empowering. I guess I'm bringing that up because I think there'd be a lot of people listening who have big dreams, who have really big goals and they might want to be in the health, wellness or vitality industry but they're scared about lacking security. They're scared that they won't get a paycheck every week. And yeah, there's weeks where I got the flu or was sick or traveled. Whereas a PT or a performer, you don't get holiday pay or sick pay or any of that. You just don't get paid. But that's the joy of it. You've got the freedom to go away. You didn't have to write in and ask permission for two weeks off from your boss who is either the controller of your destiny or not, who can simply say, oh no, Julie's away, so you can't have a holiday. How stupid. You know, just... Being brave enough to dive deep and go, you know what? It's terrifying and there will be times where you're living, you know, client paycheck to client paycheck. But that's exciting. That's that's worth living because then you're you're choosing the lifestyle that you lead. So if anyone's listening and goes, Oh, I'm scared to follow my dreams because right now I've got security and what will happen if I'm a failure? So what? You're a failure. Who cares? I've failed hundreds of times. And I fail each and every day to this day. I still have failures. You're 
you, what you guys summed me up as and what people view me as in Instagram are my successes. But for that many successes, there's equal, if not more failures. So I say dive in, dig deep and just give it a shot because you'll come up eventually for air. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And we're in a very similar boat to that at the moment in the last 12 to 18 months. We've both kind of gone off into our own path out of the corporate world and into the scary world of, um, yeah, doing your own <laughs> thing. But I must mm. say, we love it. We yeah, really, really love it. And it, it definitely at the moment has more highs and lows. For sure. And I think it makes you it makes you hungry for it. Like it makes you work hard. It makes you gives you all these things of like that you don't get just sitting in, in a full time job when you get paid nine to five. Like it's just it's a different hunger. Yeah. It's a different way of, you know, thinking outside the box. You're more creative because it's all on your terms and you have you have to make it happen. Like you're in the driver's seat and there's no money coming in unless you're the one that's actually making it happen. Yeah. And I think mm. That's a really exciting feeling almost of like, okay, like you say, I'm in control of my destiny. Like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. My old boss will often say to me, oh, just come back. You know, when it gets hard, like there's a job waiting for you. And I'm like, oh, that would be easy. And I'm like, yeah, nah. (laughs) I don't think I could, same as you, I don't think I could go back to authority and people telling me what to do it. Yeah. No, yeah. I I was just going to add to what you were saying is that when you taste Freedom, and I'm not saying it's easy, freedom doesn't equal, to anyone listening, freedom doesn't equal you have all day spare and you're just hanging out. Freedom is probably more hard work than you'll ever have, but you're still more free than you'd ever be in nine to five, I believe. And look, I got to clarify that there isn't anything wrong with nine to five also, because there may be people listening who love it, but it's not necessarily for everyone. So this is more of like my kind of like, if you love what you're doing, keep doing it. But if you have that passion just get into it just do it because you don't want to wake up one day whether it's 25 30th 35th birthday whatever age it is that you have that wake up realization you don't want to wake up and go "Ah, why didn't I do all those things I really wanted to do because you will regret it and just do it it's never too late so if I've got someone who's a client who's 55 and they wake up and they go I wish I had done a b c and d my advice is do it there is it is never too late but just listen to what your heart desires really listen and don't be scared yeah I couldn't agree more and I think if anyone is listening to this and they've got that they'll know that feeling like you get that feeling in your stomach that's like there's something more there's just and I actually said it to Amy the other week I'm like it's the first time in my career that I have am able to just be I'm in the right place like I don't know where I don't know necessarily know where I'm going I don't know when the next paycheck's coming but I feel like I'm so in the right place and that's because you know all these years in my career I was yeah I've always loved my jobs I've loved what I've done but there was always this little little burning feeling inside me that there was like there's more to you there's there's something more there's something bigger here so I think if anyone's listening and and has that feeling you've just got to dive in wholeheartedly and just believe that you know with heart and hustle you'll get to where you need to be and you've just got to have faith totally oh i love that heart and hustle i haven't heard that that's cool <laughs> um so talking about your books you've got it you've got a new book called smart Cards, which hit the shelves on the 31st of july and absolutely skyrocketed to australia's number one best-selling cookbook and lifestyle book 
Talk us through the Smart Carbs philosophy and why creating this book was so important to you. So the biggest conversation, I reckon, of 2018 um, in health circles, uh, in any nutritional therapy that I've done online, Google searches are low carb and keto. Should we be low carb? What is keto? How do you become in keto type thing? All these strange search terms are, have, have overtaken the word paleo as the most Googled um, search terms in Google. And um, I think it's really interesting that we're starting to have this conversation heavily. It is a really loud conversation at the moment, the whole LCHF, low carb, healthy fat movement, and for good measure. So for a couple of decades, um, as a brief history, uh, the food industry was focused on low fat or no fat. All right, There was no fat or low fat yogurts and all sorts of things were popping up. But what happened was, is when you take naturally occurring and good quality fats out of food and make them no or low fat, it actually tastes like nothing or tastes like rubbish. So they were replacing the fat with sugar. And then what happened over the last kind of two or three decades is that we were replacing good, healthy quality fats with refined and processed ingredients, including high levels of refined sugars. Now, food was tasting great, but people were putting on weight more than ever. So they were going, hang on, I'm avoiding fat, and we were told to avoid fat at all costs, yet I'm still increasing my weight, increasing my sugar cravings, my hormones are all out. What's going on? So thank goodness for the health industry and modern research and science is that we've now got to this point in the industry where we're no longer scared of fat and hopefully everyone listening is now on the same page that good healthy quality fats are wonderful for our diet. Fat doesn't make us fat. The word fat in food should actually have a different name to the fat on our body because they're actually really different things. So when we store body fat, that's due to lifestyle factors, potentially overeating and poor food choices, right? But the fat that we're eating, we shouldn't be scared of that. So I wish it had a different name because when we're eating coconut, coconut oil, avocados, olive oil, nuts, seeds, hemp seeds, I mean, the list goes on, olives, good quality fats in our diet keep us satiated, reduce our blood sugar levels and keep us feeling fuller for longer. So that's how, that was a long way to answer that question, but that's how Smart Carbs came about because of the discussion around low carbon keto. So what I wanted to do was show three approaches, a paleo approach, which I call sustain in the book, a low carb approach, which is a manageable low carbohydrate diet and the keto approach. All the recipes have a code next to them, whether they're a sustain, which means you're not really counting the carbs, but you're making sure they're from really good whole food sources or low carb, which is a manageable approach for most people, or keto, which is a strict low carb approach, which isn't necessarily for everyone due to the low level of carbohydrates. So the book, the book is to basically put into paper and recipes a practical approach to understanding your own carbohydrate needs. That's really cool. And I think that's probably something that I love. Well, there's two things I love the most about your book. Um, is firstly, it's literally like a dictionary for all of that stuff. It gives you such good insights into, you know, the different diets, what you need to be eating for your body, the energy levels. And I'm like, I love that because I, you know, I love knowing what I'm putting in my body and really understanding it. And that also takes time understanding it as well. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I really want to know if this is that good for me or, or Ryan, my husband, oh. will go, 
is this actually good? What's in this? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I want to know. But sometimes I'm like, I don't have time to research this. And it's literally there at your fingertips. So I love that. And I also just love that the, the recipes are, it's stuff that's in your pantry. It's stuff that you've heard of before. And that's so important, I think, because it's not scary to make your recipes. So, mm. yeah, well done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, <love> you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So for many years, you were known as the Bondi PT. During this time, you were asked to work alongside Angelina Jolie to manage her nutrition and training while filming one of her movies. What a career highlight. Can you talk us through this experience and how you landed a gig like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it was such a bizarre scenario. I went to a job interview not knowing what the hell it was for, um, but the job interview was at Fox Studios, so already you're kind of very suspicious as to, hang on, not every day do you get a job interview for you know personal training and nutrition at Fox Studios, so something must be going on. But I didn't ask too many questions, just went with the flow. I had this interview with this uh, big American producer and I didn't still, I still didn't know what it was. And then um, I had, uh, I was told to wait in the waiting room. And if I wanted to make myself a cup of tea while I waited, uh, I was welcome to. And I went into the tea room to make a cuppa. And then um, a lady walked in next to me and started making a cuppa herself, just stirring with a teaspoon in her cup. And she just looks up and she goes, oh, you must be Luke. And I looked up and it was Angelina Jolie and I... I actually was, I don't even remember what I did or what noise came out or if I stayed frozen, but it was just a surreal moment because I was like, wow, it all fell into place that that's who I was working for. Uh, the job was an incredible opportunity. Um, it always kind of gives me a taste of, ooh, would I ever go over and like do chefing on a film or do training for actors? And it's very tempting. One of my career goals is to maybe do a little bit more of that down the track where I do more consolidated private food for an experience over there or somewhere around the world because it was really rewarding working with such a tight-knit group of people and um, experiencing that side of kind of filmmaking and seeing being on set and all that type of stuff. It's everything that you see in Entourage and all that and more. <laughs> so was this when she was still married to Brad and did you meet the kids? Yeah, so they were in town. Uh, they weren't there for the whole shoot, um, but Brad was there and the kids were there. Um, and what was funny is that it was just very much just there was no star treatment or different uh, behaviour for those guys. They ate with the rest of us, mingled and, you know, were just part of the crew just like everybody else, whether the guy sweeping the floor at the end of the day or it was her directing the film, no different in level of kind of respect. Oh, that's so nice to hear. That That's why she's a good person and he's so successful, and I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That is awesome. So you won the hearts of Australians when you appeared on Channel 7's My Kitchen Rules. Your aim during the show was to show people that healthy cooking didn't have to be boring. What impact did this experience have on your career? Huge. I mean, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys here today. Um, yeah. It was a game changer. I mean, going on MKR has given me the platform and the ability to knock on doors that weren't previously able to knock on. Um, I'd always wanted to have a wide reach and have a profile in food and fitness. But before MKR, no matter how many doors I knocked on, I wasn't really getting much response. The, the same response I would get was, we don't know who you are and Australia doesn't know who you are. So it's quite a tough situation. How do we put you on a show or give you a book if you don't have reach? 
So I learned very quickly that it is all about reach and profile. And if I could go on MKR and cook my way through the show and not make a, you know, ask of myself and make sure I'm not a villain and, you know, be polite and respectful as I would want people to be polite and respectful to me, there may be something in it afterwards. And I'm really fortunate. I mean, I'm six years out of the show now. I filmed in 2012 and it aired in 2013. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a fair way away now. And to think, hang on, if you'd asked me on the day of the finale in 2013 or 2012 when we filmed it, would I still be producing cookbooks and working in the industry? I will have hoped for it, but there put, it would have been a sceptical part of me saying, well, these shows are only as good as before you replaced or before the next season starts, so don't count on it, just hope for the best. And I'm really fortunate. I'm still working in the industry. It's my main form of income and support. Um, and I'm very, very lucky because it doesn't happen. You know, people go on these shows and they hope for something. Um, and it doesn't happen for everyone. So I, I do pinch myself every day that I'm still doing it, which is fantastic, even if no one knows who I am or what show I did. There's people who come to my demos and they go, you were on what? When? We are my kitchen roll? They're just like, no idea. So when I like I started, I go, you remember me from My Kitchen Rules? And everyone's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, it's, um, I'm really glad that we actually touched on that point then because Amy and I have been speaking a lot lately, you know, especially doing the podcast, how, you know, everyone we interview are just so amazing and they've got such beautiful messages. And, you know, after getting to know you, we've been able to spend a bit of time, as we mentioned, with you and, you're just such a beautiful person and you've got such an incredible message. And we, you know, we just keep saying to each other that these opportunities happen to people that really do deserve them and that have a beautiful message to spread. So yeah, we're so glad that you got that opportunity because um, yeah, you're doing incredible things. So we hope you're really proud. <laughs> Thank you. That really means the world. So obviously um, everyone's probably quite aware right now that you juggle a lot of different titles. You're an author, nutrition coach, PT, the list goes on. With such a demanding career and I guess, you know, a personal life as well, do you have any non-negotiables that help you kind of stay on track and in shape both mentally and physically? Yep. So sleep, number one, have to have it. Um, I go to bed at about 8.30 or 9 p.m. Um, and it's just a non-negotiable going to bed early. I wake up at about 4.30 or 5, whether that's just to get ahead of the inbox or to do like a fitness class. Um, but I've always get up early and I always go to bed early. And any advice I give to people is most often than not, when I hear people are stressed and tired, I hear that they're also um, staying up on devices or TV until very late for no real reason. I've always got the belief that energetically, if you feel like you're not going to get through your inbox productively in an enjoyable space kind of after 4 or 5 p.m., you're better to wait and actually do it the next day when you're fresh and positive. There's so many people who are stressed all day, catching their tail behind on everything, and then they'll sit at their screen at 7, 8, 9, 10 p.m., still trying to catch up on work. To me, that's not living. I mean, the people you're emailing aren't going to be replying at 10 p.m., so it's not life or death. And two is you're running yourself into the ground so that you, you're constantly on this hamster wheel of stress. So what I try to say to people is imagine getting beautiful sleep from 8.30 or 9 and facing the day with a completely different headspace to how you felt today. Today you felt stressed, tired and over it. Imagine what a good night's sleep will do for you facing the backlog of work that you've got. Um, people find it amazing when they kind of rejig 
that and realize that, um, you know, at the end of the day, nothing is that urgent that you need to put your health, uh, you know, behind anything else. You're so right. And I have been making a really conscious effort for the last little while to do just that, to turn off my phone or computer at say five o'clock and then get, you know, have some time with the kids. And my husband also keeps me really accountable, which is great. But last night he's away at the moment for harvest. And so, and I had no kids either. So I decided to get back on my laptop at about eight or nine o'clock because I have an event happening on the weekend and do some emails. But it was the worst thing that I could have done because then at night I could not switch my brain off and I was just going through the mental play of everything that I had to do and, you know, what was coming for me tomorrow. And it's just really not the way to operate at all. You just you end up being really mind foggy and you just don't, yeah, you, you don't deliver the next day. Totally. totally. Yeah, it's funny how um, sleep is a very, sleep and meditation are like the reoccurring themes in the podcast whenever you ask people about their non-negotiables. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I love my sleep. So I'm like, oh, finally, I'm on to a winner. I go to bed at yeah, 9.30 every night. I'm like, my friends know they'll never get a, um, a reply to a text message from me after yeah. like 9 o'clock. I'm off, I'm done. not happening. It's not happening. Yeah, exactly. And so talking about meditation, do you have a meditation practice, Luke? Or, and if you do, what is it? I've just started. I've been struggling with a little bit of stress due to work and travel. Um, and I've been feeling like I've been unable to switch off. And my anxiety has kind of been like reaching that kind of like up here, just going, oh, it's kind of poking its little head again. And I thought I've got to do something. So um, I went up and saw this wonderful kind of, uh, integrative doctor up on the Gold Coast and it was more so to just kind of lay out and go I'm healthy and well when you do my bloods and all the tests possible I'm fit as a fiddle and there's nothing kind of wrong I'm not in a state of inflammation but what's going on is my stress will cause that if I'm not careful so if I don't get on top of my stress and workload I won't be any help to myself or anyone else so we've started incorporating um, meditation techniques and they're starting very slow. I mean, at night I've been putting one on. It goes for seven minutes and I'm usually asleep before it's finished. Um, but I've also been practicing ones where um, just that being mindful. So if I find myself kind of boiling up because of traffic or uh, just, you know, first world problem type stuff, um, one of the tools and techniques he gave me was about First, finding body awareness. So starting big grasshopper just nearly landed on my face for those listening at home if they heard the bang. Um, so basically, um, it's about self-awareness where you start with your feet and move your way all up the body just to center yourself and remind yourself that you're here in this moment. And secondly, if you're sitting in the car for, or whatnot, just looking around and going, there's another car, there's a, you know, there's a traffic light, there's a supplement store, there's a cafe, just trying to bring yourself back into the moment rather than focusing on what the stressor potentially is, trying to bring yourself back into the now. And I think that's going to be very, very helpful moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. I think everyone can bring a little bit more of that into their life, um, especially here, I guess, in Melbourne or living in a, a busy city. You definitely, traffic was always one thing for me that I would just get so anxious by it. I hated the feeling of being stuck in traffic. So yeah, that's a good little tip. Um, I guess then like expanding on that, do you have any mentors or coaches that you kind of lean on um, or turn to to help you guide you on your career path? 
I don't have any specific mentor or coach at this point in time, but it's interesting throughout my life, I've had people energetically come in and out or be there just kind of in the wings who have been kind of able to gently guide me in certain decisions. And I know for one, for example, straight after MKR, uh, Pete Evans took me under his wing in many ways and really steered me towards hard work. He has a really strong work ethic and he steered me towards what I thought I was working hard. And he showed me what hard work actually looked like. And that was really interesting. Um, and secondly, um, it's funny. I feel like the universe sends messages, whether it's someone's Instagram quote or whether it's just running into someone, an airport, someone at an airport that you've known a long time ago who says something quite poignant, you know, who they go, oh, I'm heading off to Bali because I had a breakdown and I, I pushed myself too far and I just need a break. And then you, that person walks away and you're like, far out I feel like I'm at that point where I need a break and I should probably take a weekend off or you know that type of stuff I feel like the universe sends you little subtle hints or messages when you need them um, and I've often said go with your gut if something if replying to an email is giving you anxiety or the idea of seeing someone's name pop up in your text messages that gives you butterflies of nerves or uh, anxiousness Listen to that and go, okay, so that email sparks something in me. Why? Is it because I'm not following through with my end of the bargain or is it because this situation isn't serving me for what I want to do right now? I've got situations where work stuff can come in and even though I'm done and up to date and I've finished it all, if the email comes in and I start to feel butterflies, I go, hang on, what's going on here? Is this serving me? Is this relationship something that's making me feel happier or is it something that's draining me? So always listen to that type of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I think Amy's been in tune with for a really long time. And the more and more, you know, we've been such good friends for years, but we're obviously spending more time together than ever. And it's funny how that can start. You can start learning that from other people as well. And you really tune into it in your own body. And the more in tune you are, the more you start feeling and the more, yeah, those people will pop up that you need them or, um, yeah, we're right into, we're really into angel cards and it's just so funny how in tune you can actually be with something just as subtle as a deck of cards. In the car on the way up to Melbourne, I called Maddie and I said, oh, I just needed some of your energy. I just need to talk to you because she's always got such a light and bright energy. And I was surrounded by people this morning that, I don't know, just suck my energy. And yeah, I always know yeah. close to Maddie, it's, you know, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm so glad. For everyone listening, if you could give them one healthy habit to inject into their daily life, what would it be? It would be the mantra that it can wait. Um, I think it's really, really important um, to learn that. And I'm still learning it myself. If I've said anything on this podcast that sounds like I've got it sorted or got it solved, I want each, each and every one of you guys listening to know that I don't. I'm in the same situation that you guys are. We might be on different parts of our journey or our trajectory, um, but in no way do, do any of us kind of have this solved. What we have here is a journey that we're all going on. And one thing I always like to remind myself and anyone I speak to who might be feeling like it's hard or they're struggling, it's that it can wait. So whether it's a phone call, an email, a deadline, there's no such thing as a deadline. It's bullshit. It can wait. There's nothing in this world that should take over your own health or happiness. So just always remember in a moment of high stress or anxiety, you are allowed to stop. You are allowed to look after yourself and you are allowed to say to yourself, it can wait. 
I seriously just got goosebumps. That was awesome. Luke, thank you so, so much for joining us today. We have really, really enjoyed talking to you and you're, you're just full of wisdom from wellness wisdom. You've got the whole package and we hope to be able to catch up with you again soon. Maddie said, I think we're going to be friends with Luke one day. So <laughs> yeah, we are. No, we are. We're already building on it. <laughs> no, my words are, we're going to be friends with Luke forever. Yeah, that's exactly what you said. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review and subscribe so you can keep up to date with our new episodes each week. For a dose of weekly happy, healthy news, you can subscribe to our newsletter via our website at thehealthyhustlers.com. Until next week, make sure that you're investing in yourself to keep the hustle healthy.